tell me how we can use the stuff we talked about today to be better parents. You had six kids. Uh, that must have been crazy. <laughs> well, it actually wasn't that crazy because um, I have two daughters. They're 10 years apart. So think about that. And then uh, I ended a marriage and started a new relationship. And Debbie, my wife, had four sons. So if she were here, you could talk to her about the craziness of raising four boys all within five years of each other. But when I joined that constellation, uh, the youngest of the kids was probably 10 or 11 or 12. Now, you could still say it's a little crazy because we're blending a family, which is a master skill in consciousness or not. <laughs> talk about drama. And, you know, I'm deeply committed to my sons and loving them. So, yes, but not as crazy as it sounds. Okay. So all of this, every bit of this applies to parenting. So just go back to where we started, the line. So one of the questions I ask parents all the time, you know that interchange you just had with your 16-year-old, were you above the line or below the line? Because if you're below the line, the possibility of having a meaningful conversation that produces tangible, lasting results is very slim. Furthermore, if you're below the line when you're interacting with your 16-year-old because they just got a traffic ticket or got busted for marijuana or whatever, there's a real probability your kid is going to go below the line too. So now you've just got two reactive, contracted, scared people trying to prove they're right. Right. Well, that's where most parenting occurs from when we're triggered. And by the way, it's the same thing. Are you, you know, you're when you're working with your 18-month-old who only eats two dietary things and you're not willing to give them that in the restaurant and they're throwing a temper tantrum, are you interacting with your child from below the line or above the line? And again, I'll circle back to it. Let's say I'm in a restaurant and my kid's throwing a temper tantrum and I'm interacting with my kid. Most parents, this is natural and normal, are not really interacting with their child, with their child at the center of their consciousness. They're interacting with their child, with themselves at the center of their consciousness and their embarrassment. So my anger at my child is largely fueled by my embarrassment that I'm outsourcing my sense of approval and okayness to strangers surrounding me at Chuck E. Cheese. Probably wouldn't happen at Chuck E. Cheese, but you know, at a, at a restaurant. This goes back to your grandparent comment earlier, where it's almost easier to be a grandparent than it is to be a parent. Absolutely. So, you know, if you think about conscious parenting, one of the primers that I give parents is, you know, most parents think that their children came here to learn for the parent to teach them how to be a human. Well, there's a lot of truth to that, and that's a lot of what our job is. But I'd say it's equally, if not more true, that our children came here to teach us. So, for example, these little children in my life, all of them are under seven years old and some babies and stuff. Whenever they show up in the world, I have a talk with them when they're little infants, write them a note that says, thank you for coming here to teach me. Thank you for coming here to remind me who I am that I've forgotten. And I believe that if we make that contract with our children, they will teach us all the way along. So these kids come hardwired to know emotional intelligence. They feel feelings. They're in their bodies. They express the feelings. Their anger comes out if their diaper's wet. Their anger comes out if their tummies. If, you, if, if they start to feel the falling sensation, their fear comes out. Their sadness comes out. And every time they did that, if you said, would you teach me again how to reconnect with my body and have an authentic experience of the life force of emotion? Would you teach me that? 
Or let's go back. You know, when you're sitting with your 16-year-old who just got busted for marijuana. And you say, you know, before I get over there in your business, which I'm going to do, because that's part of what I think my responsibility is, I just want you to know that this whole situation is a gift for me because I really stake my reputation on being a good parent and having you be an A student and a star athlete and not do anything. And you've cooperated fantastically for these first 16 years. And now you're giving me a test. You're giving me a test of whether or not I'm going to see you as an extension of me and whether I'm going to get my validation from how you perform or whether I'm going to source that inside myself. So thank you. Furthermore, you give me a chance to face what I went through when I was 16 years old because, you know, I was breaking all kinds of rules and I didn't have a parent who loved me enough to step in. So I'm going to face that and I'm going to step in with you. Or, you know, I had a parent who was so damn controlling, they smothered me. So I'm going to face all that and be with you. So premise number one, your kids have come here to teach you as much as you're supposed to teach them. And by the way, if you buy into that, that changes the whole game. And then ask yourself, am I parenting from above or below the line? Am I Am I treating my kids as victims? This happens all the time. I can't tell you how many parents see their kids as victims. The villain is the coach who isn't giving their kid enough playing time. Oh, yeah. Parent steps into the role of hero or the kid is a victim at the effect of their teacher who doesn't understand their learning differences. So the parent steps into the role of hero. And every time we do that, we're treating our kids as disempowered victims. And they'll learn that. So again, you can parent from that victim, villain, hero triangle, and it creates all kinds of backlash. So all of this applies to parenting. How candid are you with your parent, with your kids? How much do you reveal? How authentic are you? Or do you just put up a shield? And there's all kinds of stuff here. Do you live in a state of appreciation with your children? Do you give them, you know, that old coaching thing? Do you give them five to one appreciation to constructive criticism? There's so much here about, con- in fact, that's one of the next books we're going to write is conscious parenting and conscious partnering. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a whole world. It, I mean, this applies outside. It applies to all aspects of your life, right? And it's so important to, those are the most important things. Often we don't realize they're the most important until it's too late, right? We're, that's true. 70 or 80 and all of a sudden we want more time with our kids we wanted to invest more in our relationship and letting that hindsight of other people be your foresight is super powerful but then it's a matter of like what do we do with that information how can i be a better spouse like what aspires me to do that and how can i be a better spouse in a way that or partner in a way that my partner recognizes and appreciates not necessarily in a way that i i necessarily want to give So that we're communicating in in sort of the same language and it's the same for kids, right? If you have multiple kids, the way that you communicate with each kid might be different. And and the way that they receive that information has to be sort of optimal for them in order to, to get the message across or to learn from them or to sort of like have that dynamic with them. And I think that we're just... We're so busy in day-to-day lives that we rarely step outside of ourselves and understand that no, now is the time that we need to be investing in this because there's no like metaphorical window when we're, you know, 80 that we can just go up to and like solve these relationship problems that we're creating right now. I'm saying yes to everything you're saying. <laughs> uh, uh, just before we get off, you, you mentioned sort of the blended family thing. And I know we have quite a few listeners out there uh, with blended families. Uh, what, what are some of the lessons that you learned as uh, a parent in a blended family situation? Yeah, great. A couple, a couple simple ones that 
helped us. We've got a fabulous blended family. It really is. It's fabulous. A couple of things. Number one, we made the decision to prioritize our relationship over our relationship with our children. What does that mean? Well, (laughs) the deal in a blended family is, you know, Debbie has a biological connection with her boys. That is her offspring. That is her life force. And when the shit hits the fan, when it gets conflictual, when her kids are in conflict with my kids, when I'm in conflict with her kids, the natural tendency, and I totally get this. And by the way, it's a legitimate choice. I'm just telling you what we did. The natural tendency is to prioritize the the parent's connection with the child. Right. In our experience, that creates long-term problems. Because those kids in a blended family are going to want to know, my daughters are going to want to know that Debbie hasn't taken primacy over them. They're going to be terrified of that. But if I give them primacy over her, it's going to create a whole downstream set of consequences. So we decided we were going to prioritize our closeness first. And we did all kinds of things around that, around the amount of time we spent together and being each other's allies and and things like that. And that was a game changer. And I've seen lots of other couples do this and they didn't do that. And it might be one of the reasons that the statistics on uh, second marriage divorces are so much higher than first marriage divorces, because now uh, there's not the primacy of that relationship and all the stress of blended families blows the marriage apart or blows the intimate relationship apart. So that was one thing we did. And then the other thing we did, and this is fairly common, but we we really were good about this, is Debbie has primary relationship and decision-making rights with her children. I serve as support to that system. Now, if there's something that the kids are doing that's affecting me, I'm going to talk to Debbie about that first. Doesn't mean I'm not going to talk to the kids, her kids, but I'm going to talk to Debbie first to make sure we're aligned. And then we'll talk to the kids together. Now there's a whole lot more around this, but that's another one. She has primary decision-making responsibility with her children. My job is to support her. How, How does that not end up in a situation where different kids have different roles? Different kids have different rules? Yeah. Oh, I wish we had time because I would say, what's wrong with that? Oh, uh, oh, no. Okay. That's a great sort of question. Yeah. So, so is that okay? Like if your daughter came up and said, you know, uh, one of her kids did the same thing as I did and the punishments were completely different or the consequences, I don't want to use the word punishments, but the consequences were different. This would be a whole conversation on parenting. One of my views would be that part of being a conscious parent is to be so present and so tuned in that you know that your six-year-old needs an earlier bedtime than his five-year-old sister. Right. Now, the six-year-old is going to say, and you can react to that from below the line, or you can come from above the line. You can say, listen, I know that pisses you off. I know you hate that. So if you want to beat a bag for a minute, let your anger out, that's great. I'll just sit here and witness and be with you. That's perfect. And at the end of the day, when I tune into you, I think your sleep needs are different. So we're going to have different bedtimes. And by the way, that's just one tiny illustration. I think that can be illustrated over and over and over again. And by the way, that doesn't mean that there aren't family rules. In other words, we could have a family rule that you can have your room be a pigsty if you want, but everybody cleans up the common space. Right. You know, so I would question the belief that we need to have the same consequences and expected 
uh, agreements. By the way, parenting is all about making clean agreements with your children. Most parents don't make agreements with their kids. They give them edicts and that creates a rebellion. I talk about how to make clean agreements with your kids around things like room cleaning, bedtime and homework and stuff like that. We, we're going to make clear agreements with our children and those agreements can be different. Keep going with the, the other sort of lessons from blended families and we'll follow up in part two of this. So lesson number one, we prioritize our relationship. Lesson number two, the primary parent had decision rights and the secondary parent was an advisor, consultant, and stood as a unified field in the decision-making that went on. And another one I would say is have a long time horizon <laughs> because when families blend, depending on how you blend, there's so many different ways to blend out. There's almost always a tumultuous adjustment period. I tell parents, count on it. Here's what's going to happen here. You can just, your kid's job and your stepchildren's job is to test you. It's going to get messy. So have a long time horizon and understand that when you decide to end your first marriage and take your kids into a second marriage or a second intimate relationship, part of what you're choosing is a tumultuous period of time. So that's another. And then another big one, which again, we could go into intensely is how we as me as an individual, me and Debbie, and me as a system, choose to relate to the former spouses and the co-parents out there is critically important because there's a whole energy field here and they're all part of the energy field. And the degree to which we can, and it's not totally up to us because there are other people involved, the degree to which we can relate to the co-parents and the former partners from above the line, which is not easy to do because usually we're ending the relationship for a reason, which usually carries some toxic residue. But the degree to which we can relate to them from above the line is a great, great enhancement to our blended family. You know, um, uh, what's her name? It'll come to me. Who did conscious uncoupling? Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop and all that. You know, it came back up because I just saw something. I think it was the New York Times. About it was it. Esther Perel, wasn't it? Was it Esther Perel who came up with the idea of conscious uncoupling? Uh, I don't know. I, I know she's talked about it before in yeah. terms of like, I remember reading an article a few weeks ago that she wrote on uh, yeah. sort of a couple that was breaking up and and one of them was feeling guilty because he had had an affair, but he, he didn't want to be in the marriage anymore and he had moved on, but he was really feeling guilty about his spouse. And so part of the conscious uncoupling was like he was acknowledging that he was feeling guilty and then that was okay. That's fabulous. Yeah, I love Esther's work. It's unbelievable. And Gwyneth came up with this idea of conscious uncoupling. I think she got it from somebody back in the 70s. Okay. Katie Hedricks, and she got a ton of crap for it. And this was years ago. And now it's because, but I want to say, you fast forward to this weird thing that, you know, in social media, uh, I don't really do, but I hear she gets a lot of crap for, you know, that her ex-husband comes on a honeymoon with her and her new husband and the kids. Now, we can all see why that, we can make up a story why that's absurd, but it's the ultimate experience of if you want to minimize the drama in the lives of those children, be conscious about your relationship with your ex-partner and their parent. And right. now, the last thing I'd say about that is, prioritize your kids' well-being. So prioritize your relationship with your spouse, prioritize your kids' well-being. Yeah. So you know, it's so easy to want to, you know, trash the other person, so on and so forth. And all it does is leave a destructive 
you know, wasteland in your kids' consciousness and soul. So those are some of the lessons we learned. I think there are lots more. 